This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon. Welcome to all of you out there here listening live to Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And uh, we're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to talk about anything you want to talk about. I'm always coming somewhat prepared because there's so many of you out there that are so shy. I just don't get it. But free advice. Can't beat that. So give us a call at 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Or better yet, you can join us here live on Google Hangouts. Just go on to the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab on PetLifeRadio.com, and you will see a link to a Google Hangouts, and uh, you can just click on the link and, and be here with us and talk to us. Have your pets with you. Hopefully, they can fit in your lap. If not, have them next to you. Take that phone camera or your computer camera, and uh, we can see you. We can see your pet. But just by the way, you might want to get used to doing stuff like that because something that I'm, I'm working on and, and others are working on around the corner, we call it telehealth. Now, we've got to be very, very careful. So keep your eyes out. And, and when you're out there and you are hearing about some of these services, these apps, telemedicine is not going to currently not going to work in veterinary medicine. Here's why. There is something called a VCPR, Veterinary Client Patient Relationship. And if you go to one of these human um, apps, right, that you could actually talk to, go onto your Google Hangout, to your FaceTime, speak to a medical doctor. They can actually see you. They can talk to you, get some history. You can tell them exactly how you feel. Understand, you can tell them exactly how you feel if you get it. So now they can actually make a diagnosis and prescribe. But clearly in veterinary medicine, it's not that easy because no matter what we think, our pets are going through, no matter what we think they're feeling, how they're acting, we don't know for sure because we can't talk to the pet. So in veterinary medicine, both the American Veterinary Medical Association, most all the states, uh, associations, and the American Animal Hospital Association insist on AVCPR. So a doctor who you don't know, who is not your veterinarian, cannot make a diagnosis and therefore can't prescribe. But then there's telehealth. And telehealth is sort of what I'm doing right now. Telehealth is I can talk to somebody, I can advise them, I can let them know what the symptoms may mean, understand may mean, and what do I usually do? As any of you know, when I'm sitting here talking to you, I'm always going to direct you to your veterinarian, but but as we're going to talk about in just a minute, we are going to allay your fears, your concerns. And another thing that is so important to know is that the fastest growing segment of the pet owning population is the millennial. Now, I don't know how many millennials are listening out there right now, but if you are one, uh, when was the last time you jumped in the car to go get that pizza at 11 o'clock p.m.? No way. No way. You don't do that. You grab your phone, you click on your food app, whatever it is, and before you know it, your pizza's at your door. You pay a little premium for that? Of course you do. But guess what? It's all about, I want convenience. I want it now. So when you call that veterinary office, and the receptionist kindly says, oh, I'm so sorry, but it's during our surgical hours, so I can have the doctor call you back in an hour. You don't want to wait an hour. You want it now. So we have a solution. We're going to talk about that at length, but we're getting close. But it's really, really, really cool. 
So uh, anyway, just so you know that there is something around the corner. We're going to talk about, um, I have two cases that are really case in point about why I'm getting involved in something a little bit unique and something that I, I know veterinarians are going to love. Every veterinarian I've spoke to about it is loves it. And I think you as pet parents are going to love it as well because it's going to bring convenience. It's going to bring basically 24-hour care at your fingertips. And um, we're not, no diagnosing, no treating. We're leaving that up to your doctor. But we are going to basically be helping your doctor deal with cases at times of the day when they're not available or they don't want to be available. And we're going to allow veterinarians an opportunity to obviously spend time helping pets, which is what we love to do. So uh, anyway, if you can, give us a call, 877-385-8882, or join us live right now, and let's talk about your pets. Anyway, as you know, I love to do until I wait to hear from you. I would just kind of let me let you know what's going on in the veterinary world, the pet world, the animal world. So um, here's one that's pretty sad, pretty sad. And I know anyone out there who listens to Pet Life Radio and listens to any of our hosts are going to be equally as disturbed by what I'm about to tell you, and that is this. Poaching, poaching is one of the most lucrative crimes in the world. That is really sad. It's sad for the people that are doing it, and sadder that there are those that are paying for these animals, these pelts, these tusks, you name it, and it is the most, get that, the most lucrative crime in the world is poaching. So it tells you that this is really a big problem. It's a huge problem, and I find it very disturbing. In North Carolina, if you live in North Carolina, be careful, because uh, some of the cat shelters have basically suspended adoptions because of outbreak of panleukopenia, panleukopenia, otherwise known as cat feline distemper. And uh, we are seeing that, unfortunately, in large numbers. So they have suspended cat adoptions. They are going to quarantine these cats for at least two weeks before they will let them go out to their new forever homes. Another one, no surprise to me. I see it all the time in my practice, but obesity. Basically, it's in epidemic proportions across the United States. 55% of dogs and about almost 60% of cats in the U.S. are either overweight or obese. And obesity, depending on, on whose definition, somewhere between 20, it used to be 20% above optimal body weight. Now they're actually pushing it to 30%. So you are overweight if your pet is up to 30% above their optimal body weight. But once they are 30% or over 30% of their optimal body weight, the term is now obese. It's a big problem because obesity lends itself to a number of other issues, diseases, conditions, arthritis, respiratory issues, cardiovascular issues, increased incidence of cancer, increased incidence of diabetes, skin problems, reproductive issues. I mean, you name it a lot of issues in related to cancer not to mention not to mention that obese dogs or cats will not live as long as their non obese counterparts so very important to know that here's another one that i see the trend and i you know people ask me all the time what do i think about this and you know again it's it's a tough one because the truth is we really don't know but the trend is this that most owners now, or I should say not most, more owners are basically moving to upscale pet stores and upscale expensive foods, really reflecting their own dietary preferences. For example, gluten-free, non-GMO, things like that, organic. So those are the buzzwords that you're looking for when you're trying to eat better, eat healthier. Vegan, be careful, cats are obligate carnivores. So we, as pet parents, 
have a tendency to what we call anthropomorphize. We try to put in our own values into our pets. So if you want to be gluten-free or non-GMO or whatever the case may be, you put that onto your pets and you look for foods that have those same buzzwords. But here's the clincher. The experts, the experts of the, the board certified veterinary nutritionists, the internists, so far, they are really questioning the validity of these claims for our pets. So just proceed with caution. Not that it's dangerous. The question, no, 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 no. It's the question, do, you, do they really need it? Just because you want to be gluten-free, has anyone proven a humongous amount of allergies to gluten in pets? And the answer is no. As a matter of fact, just to put up, if you talk to any board-certified dermatologist, veterinary dermatologist, they say that maybe 15 to 20% of pet allergies are food-related, meaning 80 to 85% of allergies are not. So don't think that you have to run because your dog is allergic and you're going to say, oh my God, it must be food. And you have to run and get, no, I have to get a special food. And here's another thing to remember. If your pet is allergic to, say, chicken, we know that the most common protein allergies are going to be for the poultry, which is uh, chicken and turkey and beef. So when you go out then and you look for, and I hear this all the time, and I mentioned, you know, one of the things it could be, if I really do believe it's a food allergy, I can tell that because I, they're chewing their feet, they're scratching at their ears, sometimes they're rubbing their face, and those are the classic signs of food allergy. And I know it doesn't mean that it's the only signs, but those are the classic signs. So we talk about some of the allergens. So look, a good place to start would be to eliminate poultry, maybe chicken. Oh, no, but, but uh, doctor, I buy organic free-range chicken. It's the best chicken. And uh, what I don't understand is chicken is chicken is chicken is chicken. Whether it's McNuggets or whether it's the best organic free-range chicken on the planet at, uh, you know, $4 an ounce, it doesn't make a difference. The protein is the same. So just be really careful about that, that just because you're buying a very high quality food doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be non-allergenic for your pet. So again, don't make any decisions without the help of your veterinarian, because I think that's really what's going to help you. Next up, as we know, no such thing as a free puppy or kitten. What I, by that, I mean, of course, I want you to do this anyway. But when you are finding, when you're going by the store, the department store, and out front, there's a little kid with a box full of puppies and is willing to give them away or $10, right? You don't know anything about the mother. You don't know anything about the vaccines. Are they going to give you paperwork from their veterinarian? Unlikely. So just know that when you, if you don't say don't, I'm not saying don't get it, but immediately take this puppy, take this kitten to your veterinarian, have it checked out. If you have no vaccine history, I would start vaccines. Uh, case in point, I do work with the Vanderpump Rescue. Fantastic rescue. Love them. And they, same thing. They got these uh, two little puppies that somebody basically all practically dropped off. They were in a box. Anyway, long story short, both ended up with distemper. One had to be put to sleep. One we pulled through and is doing great. But you just have to know there's no such thing as a free lunch. So just be prepared. Be, I'm thrilled that you adopt. I'm thrilled that you're going to take care of them. But do know that try to get as much history as you can. And if you are lacking any essential history, i.e. mother's involvement, was mother protected? Did they nurse? All these things you have to find out. Were any vaccines given? Take this puppy or kitten to your veterinarian. 
and start on the right track. Oh, this is really cool. There's a, a study going on testing stem cell therapy to treat canine arthritis. Again, I've been, I don't do stem cell therapy, get that out six times fast, but I have been using PRP, platelet-rich plasma, to tremendous success. And they're very similar in scope. You're, you know, you're getting in the PRP, you are taking the, the plasma cells, which is, of course, going to have some stem cells in them. And you're taking the dog's own cells. So you don't have a problem with rejection, injecting them into the joint. And I've had just amazing, amazing success. And then one last thing to talk about before the break, before we talk to my subject of the day, and that's going to be in Ohio. So if you're out there in Ohio, more dogs hospitalized with the, with the H3N2, that's the new updated influenza virus. And now we're seeing it pretty much now in most states in the country have had reports. My recommendation is if you have a lifestyle, if you have a pet that is at risk, a pet because they go to doggy daycare, because they're bored frequently, because they go to the groomer frequently, where any potential for exposure to more and more other dogs, I would highly advise you speak to your veterinarian and think about getting your pets vaccinated. I think I mentioned earlier, uh, a number of weeks ago, that in certainly in our area in Los Angeles, because we are also now seeing cases, that many of the daycare facilities are requiring the H3N2 vaccine. In fact, when I first got the vaccine, because when H3N8 came out, oh God, several years ago, uh, we tested, we, we didn't see any cases. So when this one came out, I really wasn't running to buy vaccines. P.S., I started getting a call from a couple of my clients saying that their facilities are requiring it. Okay, not bad. So I, I went ahead and um, got the vaccine. I finished the box, 25 doses in a week and a half. So now I do it a lot now because, and it's not a bad idea, it's simple inexpensive protection to help those pets to make sure they don't get sick. Anyway, don't go away. We are at that point in the show where we have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. So sit right down and we'll see you in a minute. We'll be right back right after these messages. Stay tuned. As a dog, I know a lot about fleas and ticks. So trust me when I say no other tasty chew protects dogs as long as Brevecto. One Brevecto chew keeps fleas and ticks away for up to 12 weeks. Be a good human and ask your vet about Brevecto. Brevecto may cause vomiting. Get the stinky dog away from me. Bad breath and bad gas. Petey stopped eating. All his hair fell out. Itching, licking, missing fur. At least $5,000 in vet bill. Creams, antibiotics, sprays. No results. Everything we tried failed except the Dynavite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. The shedding is stopped and the itching is stopped. Her coat is not soft, it's silky, it's healthy and shiny and glossy. She's got life, she's got energy. Tons of energy, no more bad smell. Dynavite's the bomb. Dynavite is the best thing that's ever happened to my dogs, you know, besides me, of course. (laughs) 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> and 
And welcome back here live with Dr. Jeff. We're here at Life Radio. Yes, that's Dr. Jeff. And um, earlier we were talking about um, uh, telehealth, and I wanted to uh, you know, share some things. I, I guess how I got so involved in this is because of some issues that I continually have. And um, not again, I think emergency clinics are phenomenal, and we definitely need them there because there are times where most private small animal practice are closed. They're not 24 hours. And unfortunately, things do happen. As I would say, poop happens. And um, I think that we definitely need them there. Here, that premise we have to, that is gospel. We need them. I think they're great to have. Now, let's talk about some of the issues that I have. Number one, the job of an emergency clinic is simple. It's called triage. Their job is supposed to be, back in the old days, which I kind of like better. We are going to do what we have to do tonight at 2 a.m. to stabilize the pet so we can get that pet back to their own veterinarian in the morning at 8 a.m. when they open. That is what emergency clinics are supposed to do. But now, most of these emergency clinics are no longer emergency clinics. No, no, no. They call them 24-hour hospitals. They are critical care facilities. They are emergency hospitals. So when they get that case in, they basically are taking over the case. So which, what does that mean to you as a pet parent? It means that you're going to spend two to three times what you would normally spend at your doctor's office. Why? A, because they're doing this work at night when no one else is around. So they get a premium for that. And more importantly, there's a certain mentality of an emergency clinic. And that is, oh my God, we have an emergency. So we need to do all of these tests now because we don't have the luxury of time. Well, guess what? 80% of emergencies aren't. Case in point. Oh, one more thing to add, which I mean, I get so angry with this. Believe it or not, most of the doctors that are working these late shifts at these quote unquote emergency facilities are interns. What does that mean? That means they graduated the May or June before, and here they are making decisions about emergency care for your pet when 80% of the emergencies aren't. And what happens is there's a, there's a problem that we see in new doctors, and that is new doctors are so afraid that they're going to miss something, they literally over-test and over-treat. It's a problem. Here's one case that I got. I get a call from a client who, her dog, who I had seen the week before, was, as we say, ADR, ain't doing right. So I, um, it was a bulldog, nine years old, eating just a little bit off, had some diarrhea, and just wasn't acting as energetic for about a day, day and a half. All right. I told her, look, why don't you try some things I went through, the list of possibilities. Nine-year-old dogs don't usually have a tendency to eat foreign objects, unless they've been doing it their whole life. But you don't have a nine-year-old dog that never eats things like they're not supposed to, and all of a sudden at nine, decides to. Secondly, when a dog is obstructed, meaning they ate something that is blocking their intestinal tract, one of the first symptoms you're going to see, besides ADR, not feeling right, a little uh, you know, under the weather, maybe some diarrhea, it's vomiting. So it's much less likely that a dog who is not vomiting actually has at least a complete obstruction. Maybe partial, but not complete. So, so just some basics. So anyway, she panics. So she goes in to the emergency. I get a call from her an hour and a half later on my pager, on my cell, that she's there and they want to do this doctor. I'm not going to, I didn't ask yet how old this doctor was, but I knew clearly from the plan was they wanted to do a surgery on this dog to open this dog up because if we don't, I'm worried that the dog is going to have a perforation and it could get septic and it could die. 
Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. If you're a pet owner and a veterinarian comes in and says, we probably should open this dog up and do surgery because if we don't, he could die. How many of you, show of hands, would not do it? Of course you would. Well, guess what? If you get the history and you feel the belly and you do your job as a veterinarian and you reason and you think, first question I say, I've, I had the doctor on the phone, right? I said, quit this doctor on the phone. By the way, I did ask the client, how old is this doc? Oh, she says very young. So I said, what's the likelihood of this dog obstructed to the point of being sick when A, in the history, no history of eating anything it never does. B, that it is obstructed. It's still eating. So the only thing we have really going on is ADR, ain't doing right, a little lethargic and having diarrhea. Certainly you're not going to cut open a dog because it's, it's not doing right and has diarrhea for a day. No other signs of sepsis, no other signs of being sick, wasn't pale, the CBC, the complete blood count, everything else was normal. And this guy wanted to spend $6,000 to cut this dog open at two in the morning. I said, well, do an ultrasound first if you're worried about that. Oh, well, our ultrasonographer doesn't work at night, so we'd have to wait, and I'm afraid of waiting. Oh, my God, that's a, a lousy reason. So, P.S., I said, absolutely not. He told the owner, do not. I said, I want the dog on fluids, IV fluids, because even though there was a partial obstruction, rehydrating the dog, and it's losing a lot of fluids from the diarrhea, could make a huge difference. IV fluids, give it something if you want to control the diarrhea. I'm not so worried about that. And let's see, re-x-ray in the morning and see if that funny thing he saw was still there. So let me give you a little background. When you get a little history on this dog, this dog had a splenectomy a few years earlier because of a splenic tumor. And while the surgeon was in, he did what's called a gastropexy. We've talked about that before. I usually promote that with large breed spayed. When you're spaying a large breed female, I would highly advise because these dogs are the ones that have a tendency for gastric torsion and bloat later on in life, just do the pexy. Do the, you connect the stomach to the body wall so it can't rotate. And they did a pexy. Well, clearly now, what he was seeing on the x-ray was some of the bowel loop wrapped around a little bit, and it was causing a little bubble, which, by the way, was gone the next day. Anyway, so when I spoke to one of the specialists that was in the next day, of course, he agreed with everything I said, and it would, would have been silly to open this dog up. The dog is fine. She then took the x-rays, had the ultrasound done. Long story short, because we're running out of time here, was this dog was just fine, fine without surgery, without any kind of invasive work. They didn't even need to do an endoscopy, which, of course, would have been a little expensive, but smarter than cutting the dog open at nine years of age, a bulldog. Anyway, nothing was needed. The radiologist agreed that this was normal. The dog is eating. The dog has normal stool. The dog is happy. And it probably got a hold of something that caused the diarrhea. You know, maybe it could have been a change of diet. It could have been stress. Could have been so many different things that causes that, but not having a problem. So you can see why I get so frustrated with these young doctors. Yeah, I always say there's a, a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. You can give me the smartest guy, the guy that finished number one in his class last May, super smart. And so he's got the knowledge. He knows it. He knows the book stuff. But is he wise? Not a chance. I would run circles around him. I said, because without experience, you can't have wisdom. Certainly, you can have knowledge, but you just have to know the right questions. You have to know what to do. You have to think. You have to sort of ask question not only what it can be, but rule out what it can't be because of the clinical signs. And so many young doctors are not doing that. They've lost the art of practice. 
And it's, it's, it's very concerning to me because let's face it, a lot of the old guys like me are, you know, getting ready to, I don't know, maybe I maybe have seven years left in me. I don't know if I'm going to practice much past 70, but I will tell you that you got to be smart out there and, and question, do not always just go with what they tell you at an emergency center. And uh, I think it's probably so much smarter if you had your access to your veterinarian or another general practicing veterinarian who knows what questions to ask and at least can talk to the doctor and do what I did. And I tell the doctor, you know what? I disagree with you. This is what I want you to do. Get that dog an IV. If you want to give it something for the diarrhea, fine. If even the vomits, you want to give him something for the vomit, fine. But I'm going to do my own ultrasound tomorrow. And this dog can certainly make it through the night. Of course it did. So anyway, my soapbox, I love being on my soapbox because you need to know the truth. I'm trying to really, you know, sort of educate pet parents out there to really be smart with their pets, make the correct decisions and know the questions to ask. And don't always go with what you're told. It's like, you know, like I say, you, if you ask five different medical doctors, right, for an opinion, you're going to get seven different opinions. So you just have to know it's um, everybody's got their thing. How many, how many times have you known somebody that, that needed or went for a second opinion or a third opinion and they differ and these are all experts. So you can imagine what it's like with veterinary medicine. It's no different. Anyway, thanks for joining us. I want to thank our sponsors, Brevecto and Save This Life Microchip and More Than a Cone, raising awareness of um, our animal welfare through the arts. And, um, uh, if you have any questions, you want to get a hold of me, you can do so anytime. Just give me, uh, uh, send me an email to drjeff, Dr. Jeff at petliferadio.com. And next week, we're, uh, we won't be live, uh, but the week after that, when we're back, uh, if you have any questions, you want to talk about this, you want to share experiences, we'd love to hear from you, 877-385-8882. Or when you um, join us on the web at petliferadio.com, ask the best of Dr. Jeff. You can actually see us live using the Google Hangouts link that we will leave for you up on our site. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll uh, actually two weeks, and uh, we'll see you then. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.